I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Ready. Here we go. All right. Are we on? We're on. We're rolling. Great. Hi. Hello, Lynx. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm very relaxed. Yeah. Well, I'm very chilled out. Cool. We just listened to some Harry Styles. We did. That makes me happy. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid to shut up from the rooftops. (laughs) I love Harry Styles. His album. new stuff is surprisingly good. I never thought I would say it, but I, I like him as well. And we were just talking about how he looks like a young Mick Jagger. Yes. And that's pretty fitting because I'm talking about a Rolling Stone tonight. Perfect. So which this one <laughs> episode is all about Joe Wood. She was the wife of Ron Wood or Ronnie, as he is better known. Ronnie. Wait. Is that the one? Yes. And I will get to that. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I will get to it. (laughs) But yeah, uh, for this episode, I read both Joe's book, which is called It's Only Rock and Roll, and Ronnie's book, which I think is just called Ronnie. Um, That's that's a good idea. I I like that. I'm excited to hear 
the both. Yeah. And then I'm going to do the same thing for Jenny Boyd and Mick Fleetwood. Awesome. So it's nice to do the Yeah. Combined. See, here at Muses, we read all the books so that we can give you both sides. All sides. All sides. All of them. And yes, I actually looked up articles and stuff as well. So I got you covered. Um, I think that no you know i'm not going to start like that i want to thank you for the amount of research that you do with this kind of stuff because you always go above and beyond links thank you um, I try. i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna take inspiration from you in that sense and i'm gonna say moving forwards my books and my research i want to go the extra little bit for you Aww. and for our listeners because you're doing it you're doing it the extra for the listeners and i want to do that too awesome okay yeah it just i want to give the whole story so plus plus yes okay so joe wood was born in march of 1955 uh she was joe carlslake then her mother was born in south africa and she has a little funny story in her book about how before her mother moved to england uh, a little uh, a boy on the block type of thing had a crush on her mother and would send her love letters, and that person turned out to be Nelson Mandela. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So a whole family full of babes, basically. Okay. Uh, her mother moved to England, met her dad, who was an architectural model maker, and her mom, I th- believe, worked as an Avon lady. Avon calling. Yes. Uh, that something joe admired and that will come back so she was the oldest of four kids she had one sister and two brothers and she talks about living in an old vicarage uh beautiful house beautiful upbringing Uh, i want to live in england i know it's so gorgeous there at age 12 joe's idol was iggy or twiggy iggy (laughs) that's like my idol So Twiggy was her idol. Joe wanted to be a model more than anything. Her parents did send her to modeling school. And a friend of their f- family was an f- amateur photographer. And he ended up taking some photos of Joe when she was around 15. And the Daily Mirror bought a couple of them, put them in the their newspaper. And that was the beginning of Joe's modeling career. I was looking at some pictures that you showed me um, before we started because I don't know much about Joe Wood other than um, she's got a great presence on Twitter mm-hmm. and that we like, you know, yeah. we, we tweet her stuff because she's got cool things to say. But she's beautiful. She and gorgeous. I really liked the pictures of her modeling photos. Her body was real. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, She's gorgeous and lovely. And... She got a lot of admirers and she started receiving emails or emails. Oh, oh my God. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. From the future. Unfortunately, like, I mean, let's look at 2010 when I was exchanging Facebook messages with like, and like, being like, oh, that's so romantic. All right. She was receiving oh, mail from some creepers who... Really enjoyed her photos in the newspaper. So her dad was like, um, this needs to stop. So she changed her name from Joe Carl's Lake to Joe Howard, which was her father's middle name. And that's how, uh, that's the name she used for her modeling career. So then people can just like look her up in the phone book. Yes. So after the Daily Mirror, she ended up becoming the mascot for the HMS Caledonia. There's a cute picture of her in the book 
uh, lined up next to all these seamen and uh, <laughs> oh yeah I know which one you're talking yeah, about and they're all holding her photo and she's like walking by all adorable yeah she said she's she, a little cutie she in that, that little nose right yeah and Gavin Robinson he had owned a top modeling agency in the 60s he signed her she was the youngest model in the firm one thing they made her do was fix her gap teeth which is interesting because that's sort of become some it's something people admire actually and I personally love a gap tooth I love the little what people might consider I don't imperfections on people mm-hmm. because I don't know I think it's sexy like I even think yeah, like Tom unique. York's eyes and mm, like I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no I would I would I'm into it cool yeah well that's that's good mm-hmm. and so they did make her uh fill in the gap and she was asked to be the sun's face of 72 something that twiggy won in 1966 so twiggy or iggy <laughs> twiggy are you sure <laughs> <laughs> okay i got it now it's twiggy i love twiggy by the way she's amazing and so joe is just on top of i don't the know world. anything about her actually so you'll have to tell me in the next i will episode. tell you yeah for sure she moved out of her parents place and into downtown London when she was 17. While she was working in Paris, she met a man named Peter Green. She He was 28. He owned a successful clothing business called She-Type. Basically, he was charismatic and he, he was rich. One week he had a Bentley, then he would trade it in for a Ferrari. And his house, he had all the latest gadgets, you know, the best TVs, the best... Uh, everything. Yeah, what did they even have back then? <laughs> so the best fidget spinners. The best, the best record player. <laughs> How about that? And basically, he swept her off her feet. You know, dining and going out and partying. And um, her parents didn't approve of the eleven-year age gap. But on her seventeenth birthday, they ended up getting engaged after months of dating. There was no big proposal. Uh, in the book, she says it was basically, here, doll, this is for you. And he gave her the ring. And he's like, now you can live with me, all right? So that's how she got uh, engaged. A few months into engagement, she ended up getting pregnant. But I don't think he was all that excited about having a kid at that moment. So she ended up having an abortion. Really? Yes. Mm. But um, I'm like... It's just interesting to think and like that time um, that that's the decision that they made together. uh, She actually talks in the book about how it almost like it wasn't even a decision. And it seems like she it didn't affect her in the ways that it affects a lot of other women or maybe would have affected her at a different time in her life. But at that moment, it was just cool. Good for her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on her 18th birthday, they went to on vacation to L.A. He was like, let's go to Vegas. And they ended up getting married there. They celebrated by getting drunk. And she did cocaine for the first time. Yes, yeah, she did. Yes. Uh, a year That's into, when I'm going to do cocaine for the first time. When you celebratory line. Yeah. All right. Well, a year into their marriage, she ended up becoming pregnant again. Uh, this time... She wanted the kid, and she had one. Uh, she ended up having a son. Because that's her right. 
Yes. <laughs> a son named Jamie in 1974. She does talk about how, even though she did get pregnant, so they are having sex, she does talk about how their sex life was pretty much non-existent. She never... I guess they didn't... She didn't get any pleasure from him. So for her, it was like... what. What's the big deal about sex? Like, whatever, you know? But... That's sad. Yeah. So, then one day she woke up, 19, married, has a baby, and realized, like... WTF. Yeah. What have I done? Uh, especially since they didn't have that connection. And Peter thought raising a child was basically woman's work, and he was really not a hands-on father whatsoever. But she did it all, and she did love it. But she got back into modeling after some time, you know, taking care of the baby. And she ended up having an affair with a photographer named Richard Best. And she says she had her first orgasm with him and basically realized uh, what a passionate affair is and what a relationship should be good for her of course she was married and she realized like this is wrong so she ended up uh splitting up with him and felt very guilty but because there wasn't that connection she she would constantly wind up having relationships with photographers or models that she was with Again, she's 19. Yeah. She's horny. She just discovered sex. There's no look of judgment on my yes. face. And I hey, am. like, I can't even imagine being 19, married, and with a baby. It's, it's insane. So, yeah. One day, she's really upset. She doesn't know what to do with Peter. She's, she's realizing, like, I'm stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And one day, her and her friend went to dinner, or went to lunch, sorry, and a woman walked up to her, an American woman, and she said she felt that she absolutely had to do her numbers. She was a numerologist. Ooh, a yes. psychic. So she did her numbers, and she said that she could tell Joe was unhappy, and that if Joe didn't sort her shit out and follow her heart, that she would be stuck exactly where she was and unhappy for forever, basically. She's yeah. like, you're going to wake words. up, you're going to be 40, you're going to wonder, like, what happened in my life? So that was sort of an eye-opener for Joe, and she realized, yes, I need to do something. So she broke up with Peter. Peter, later in life, ended up remarrying, and he had two daughters. And Joe and him are, I guess, maybe not close, but they're civil, and they do have a son together, so... Um, their relationship is okay. So Joe got back into modeling and she was finally like living it up and dating and being a, a regular 19-year-old. Uh, their their son, Jamie, went to live with Joe's parents because Peter, there's custody things. Um, so the, their kid was okay. Good. And then on September 6th, 1977... She was she was sort of couch hopping, staying with friends, trying to figure out her her place after um, getting rid of Peter. And she was staying with a friend who was putting on a party. And she was hanging out there, and all of a sudden she realized there was some 
creepo behind her, like fake humping her. <gasps> Don't do that. <laughs> right? And so she Don't. turned around and she gave him a look like, what the fuck? And he gave her like a coy smile and... He had one of those smiles that, you know, you can get away with anything. Who was it? And suddenly he said, I'm Ronnie Wood. (laughs) Ronnie. And she said, I'm Joe Howard. And then Ronnie said, I'm Ronnie Wood. (laughs) And then, and then Ronnie said, wait a minute. And then he went to the record player, took out a Rolling Stone album, Black and Blue, and pointed at himself on the cover just so Joe could really know exactly who he was so clearly joe thought well this guy's an asshole (laughs) well i guess it could have gone either way yeah well she's thinking like what is this idiot so ronnie's trying to get to know her um but like maybe he should have started with that instead of the humping exactly or maybe he could have just started with a well just a hello hey so how's your mother he's asking joe like what's your name what do you do and joe because she's like this guy's an idiot joe is like well i work at woolworth's at the broken biscuit counter that's what she said okay and ron's like no you don't and she was like yeah i do and she convinced ron that she worked at woolworth's at the broken biscuit counter and she, Joe actually had her modeling book with her because she was staying there. And she took it out and she showed Ron all the photos of her uh, modeling and all the, like, her with models. Who's the asshole now? No, I'm just kidding. And I would never call her that. <laughs> and and no, Joe no. said that all of the people in the photos actually worked at Woolworths and they all won a competition to represent Aww. the company. And Ronnie just fell for it all. And in his book, he says, for me, this was love at first sight, the absolute. So she's just trying to get rid of this guy. Cute. I like her. I like her. She's amazing. Yep. So he is just smitten. She she leaves. And the next day, Ron is like, I have to find her. So he went to Woolworths, stayed outside for hours waiting for her to exit. She didn't, obviously. He, like, went back to his friend's house. Joe showed up later because she was staying there. And they actually had, like, their first night together where they talked and got to know each other for real. And she, in Ron's book, he, he says this happened that night, but Joe says it didn't. But they spent... So we'll believe Joe. Yes. They spent all night together. Um, They did not sleep together. Ron doesn't say they slept together either, by the way. But he does mention that he snuck into her room later that night and Joe made him wear his entire overcoat and everything to if to let him lie in bed with her. <laughs> uh he he says that happened that night. Joe says it happened like a a few a, a few nights later. Whatever. So, they're getting to know each other now. They're both obviously hilarious fun people and ronnie at the time though was actually married he was married to chrissy wood who is also a beautiful blonde (laughs) and so joe was hesitant to you know develop into a relationship with this man 
Did she find this out later? No, she knew about Chrissy. Okay. Uh, Ronnie and Chrissy had a son also named Jesse. So him and Joe are hanging out. They're they're friendly, you know. And one night at the Wick, which was Ronnie's beautiful house, Joe went to a party and Chrissy was there. And Chrissy summoned Joe to her room and Chrissy said, guess what? I don't care that you're with Ronnie because I'm in love with Jimmy Page. Nice. She said that she'd been living with him wearing only a sheet for the past year. So that made Joe feel a lot better about Ronnie and that situation. So after that, they were basically off and running. Uh, The Stones were touring then uh, the Love You Live album, I believe. And Ronnie called Joe one day and told her to meet him in Paris at this little hotel. So she went to Paris. Uh, It turns out they're the Rolling Stones, their flight was delayed, uh, an engine broke or something. So when Joe got there, Ronnie wasn't actually there. And so she thought like, oh my God, I've been stood up. I'm here alone. I'm stranded like this Rolling Stone, like bastard. Yeah. But Ronnie the whole time was desperately trying to make it to her. And finally, in the wee hours of the morning, he arrived with Keith because Ronnie and Keith are the best friends. They're best buddies. Nice. And especially back then. I'm not then. waiting on a lady. Yes. I'm just waiting on a friend. Especially back then, anywhere Ronnie was, Keith was, and vice versa. So I didn't know that they were that close. Yeah, they were extremely close. And then a little later, it became the four of them, Joe, uh, Ronnie, Keith, and Patty. Cool. Yes. Oh, a little tidbit, by the way. Mm-hmm. Ronnie had already had an affair with on Chrissy with Patty Boyd. What? Yeah. How do I not know this? I didn't know it either. I don't remember Patty mentioning it in her book. <laughs> Patty's like, mm. But Ronnie mentions it in his book. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Ronnie and Chrissy, they they were done before Joe even came around. Anyway, so back to Paris. She never met Keith or any of the other guys in the band. Keith walked in the room. She opened the door. He just walked right by her, went to a table in, in the corner, Uh-oh. cooked and shot up. And then he walked over to her and said, oh, you must be Joe. Hello, darling. And gave her a kiss. Holy shit. So that was the first time she ever laid eyes on him. First time she ever saw like heroin or anyone shoot up or anything. So that was like, whoa. Wow. But Ronnie was just like, oh, well. And she was kind of smitten. So they ended up spending three days in this tiny little hotel room. And they they had they hadn't ever made love or anything yet because Keith was there. And so one day Joe was just like, isn't this place a little tiny for us? And then Keith was like, yeah, you're right. Like, we should go to my house. And they were like, you have a house in Paris? <laughs> like, this whole time? They were like in this tiny little room. <laughs> Fucking Keith. Right? Um, So they went to Keith's, and it turned out that this little, you know, three-day stay turned into five months. They ended up in Paris for five months. The Stones were there recording Some Girls. When she met Mick Jagger for the first time, it was in the studio, and he walked up to her and said, so you're Broken Biscuit then. Oh. And apparently that was, like, her nickname, like, 
that Mick always used for her from then on, basically. And Joe decided that she would make a little corner in the room and at the studio and she called it Joe's Club and she decorated it and she would relax in there while the stones were creating magic and Ronnie in between takes would go for little quickies and in Joe's Club and she loved being in the studio and she loved seeing how the music yeah she loved seeing how the music was created and Joe actually took care of Marlon, Keith and Keith's son, when he was visiting. And a little cute thing in Ronnie's book that he mentions is that no matter what, Keith would always be there to read him a bedtime story every night, regardless of everything else that was happening with the stones. He always made sure to... Good. Yeah, it's a little sweet. So by the time they arrived back in England, both of them were just absolutely in love, smitten. Ronnie decided it was time to have a talk with Chrissy, and they ended up splitting. In Ronnie's book, again, he mentions a few days after that, he got a call from Keith Moon being like, you better bring Joe over here because we all loved Chrissy, and <sighs> she better be something special or she's out. So he, he, no brought, he brought Joe over, and of course she passed with flying colors. It, their, their romance was so passionate in uh, Paris that by the time they went back to England she was pregnant she's fertile yeah she is and with a US tour looming they packed up and they headed for LA this is 1978 so Joe went on that tour she went on the to some girls tour she was pregnant she says I felt totally in awe of the boys for inspiring such a mind-blowing reaction. I positioned myself half hidden behind an amp and the adrenaline rush was better than the hit of any drug. I like that picture of her. Yeah. yeah there's a really cute. cute picture in the book of her hiding out behind some amps and Joe always tried to make herself useful. She was styling Ronnie's clothes. She, just like Anita, was getting him... Oh, a woman styling the Rolling Stones. And she was putting her clothes on his rack, and he was wearing her clothes, just like Anita with Keith. And um, So this was the first time Joe would learn about groupies as well. She said, of course, everywhere there were women wanting Ronnie and all the other men. And she was jealous, but she finally realized that jealousy was never going to help and instead she decided to do the opposite and she says she would kill them with kindness so she would like befriend any woman trying to hit on her man to to i think also maybe ronnie was less interested in them if they were like girlfriends with her you know okay yeah so that kind of attitude, though, might have harmed her in the future. Mm-hmm. But for now, they're madly in love. And she says that she used to play a side stage game where she would watch the crowd and she would guess which women she would later see backstage because <gasps> Mick would, I guess, hunt for whichever woman he wanted in the crowd and he would signal to his security to go and pick them out i would be okay with that yeah if i was in the audience yeah i'd be fine i wouldn't say no 
Okay. Just as long as we're both on the same page. Absolutely. We want to let everybody know that. So back in LA, they, they got a house. Uh, it was a complete party house. Joe wasn't partaking at this time because she was pregnant. But Keith moved in and other musicians were in and out. Ronnie was working on his solo album. So it was just a constant stream. One thing I know, I thought was interesting, she doesn't mention it in her book, but Ronnie mentioned it in his, was that a couple people that particularly seemed to be in love with Joe were John Belushi and Don Johnson. Oh, wow. Yeah. apparently nice hear his voice again. Yeah. Apparently they would come over a lot and like madly flirt with her. So she doesn't mention it, but Ron She does. mentions her relationship with John Belushi because they all became good friends, but she never mentions Don Johnson. Oh, but she does mention another admirer that Ronnie does not mention, which was Mick Jagger. Mm. Apparently at this point, he was constantly trying to get Joe in the sack well of course yes because there's a challenge exactly when you can look down and go that one that one that one that one it's like okay but then they need to when we talked about this mm-hmm. the rock stars pushing the boundaries and the limits and exactly getting this and wanting more for sure of exactly. course he did so did anything happen between them never that's what joe says so i'm okay. gonna say no she is just madly in love with ronnie in September of 78, she went into labor. In Ronnie's book, he says, To get her mind off the pain, I started to sketch her, and my muse did her best performance yet. Within half an hour, Leo was born. We had our love child. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's cute. As usual, Keith was right there, and <laughs> when the doctor asked, did Who's he cut the, the father? Oh, God. <laughs> They both said, I am. (laughs) So they both went back there and they were both the fathers. (laughs) Cute. And soon after this, Joe got sole custody of her son, Jamie, and he uh, moved from England to L.A. to live with them permanently. So now they're family, proper family. After she finished breastfeeding, she got fully back into the rock and roll scene. Uh, Keith and Ronnie are her two best friends, and both of them are nonstop drugs, nonstop alcohol. Who's Keith dating at this time? Um, I believe Anita and him had just ended. He mm. dated briefly, actually, um, another model of friend of Joe's called Lil. Okay. So at this stage, I don't think he's with anyone, but... Which is why he's with them all the time. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense, because I was like, well... Okay, makes sense. Yeah, on off around around this time, though, he would um, get friendly with a girl named Lil, uh, and then Patty would come in a couple years. Okay. So Joe talks about how the roadies and everything had a group that they called the hardcore hardcore group and joe wanted to be one of the hardcore members so and i totally relate to this she felt like she had to drink as much and party as much as them uh you know to be one of the boys i guess and yeah i grew up in northern ontario it's (laughs) some it was wild when i was uh exactly a certain age i could drink like grunt like six foot tall yeah boys under the table yeah i was doing the same thing i can't i can't 
I, I'm surprised I'm still here, honestly. <laughs> I'm so sure glad you are. Thank you. So Bobby Keys introduced them, unfortunately, to freebasing, which is basically an early form of crack. And, of course, they did not know exactly how bad it was for you back then. So they're just having a ball, freebasing, and they got really bad. They would be locked in the bathroom for days. They were seeing strangers outside, and it was very bad. And at one point, they thought maybe a family vacation is what we need. So in 1980, they went to St. Martin's on vacation, uh, a couple of fans came over and were like, hey, like, let's party. And they had some coke with them. So they ended up partying with these fans. One of them asked to borrow their rental car at one point, and they let him go off. And then they came back and partied all night. And the next day, the police ended up showing up. One of the fans had given Joe 12 grams of coke, and she put it in her pocket at the time and forgot about it. So when the police came, she knows... There's this 12 grams of coke in her pocket. She managed to stealthily get rid of it, thankfully. But the police forced them, her and Ronnie, to go to the station with them. They ended up uh, arresting them. They accused them of drug trafficking. And it wasn't until day four of them in the prison. And Joe's in a male prison. Yeah. Uh, that they found out these these fans were like drug mules, basically. They used their car to stash a 22-kilo bag of Coke up a tree, <laughs> and they were seen, so that's why they thought they were involved. Um, by day six, they were released, and they were told, don't come back here. No. So they were banned from the island, but they were home, they were safe, Six days in prison, separated. Uh, Funny enough, the cellmate in between them apparently knew Keith Richards. So so he would, like, pass notes between Joe and Ronnie and stuff. Yeah. But Joe Joe seemed to flourish in there. She, She would tell other prisoners stories about, you know, tour life and all that. And they loved her. So she was okay. Good. Uh, But it was a little bit of a wake-up call. And Joe ended up having a seizure as well. Oh, no. Yeah. So she realized, I can't can't live a life in freebase. So she ended up uh, stopping freebasing about a year after they'd started completely. And and she cut back on coke and alcohol as well, but she she still partied. Uh, Ronnie would go on to freebase for four more years. So he's still fully into it. And because of this, all of their money is going to drugs. All of it. And Ronnie had a very... Ronnie is another person who can't say no, it seems. Yeah. He... He would, obviously, because of being involved in drugs, he would hire... He would let these drug dealers and gangsters, like, manage him. They'd be like, I want to be your manager. And he'd be, like, doing drugs with them and be like, yeah, sure. (laughs) So, clearly, he's losing his money. These people are not 
helping. They're, they don't have his best interest at heart. Ronnie had to get back into art. I don't know if you know this, but he's a painter. No. He's an incredible painter. He's gorgeous. Uh, everyone should look up his work after. So that's the good thing we that should, came yeah, out we'll, of all we'll of this. Put a, we'll put some a nice up. Yeah. site with some pictures. And... She, uh, he, they, they realized L.A. was a bad scene. They decided to relocate to New York. They moved to 78th and Riverside. And yeah, Ronnie's back into his artwork. Um, so things are a little better, a, a little more toned down. So Joe is now less of a partier. So she's, I guess, now starting to see the problems with she's like starting to put some lemon in her water and yeah. <laughs> and she's realizing Ronnie Take really loves mascara. his alcohol and his yeah. coke and yeah it's starting a little bit to be an issue and on Joe's 27th birthday in 1982 they went out and they met a model named Kelly LeBrock uh she was the girl in weird science oh yeah and uh the Lady in Red or something with Gene Wilder. I can't remember the exact title. Um, Ronnie was flirting with her, like, extreme, which apparently he would do a lot in front of her. But this time he went missing for days, and because of the drugs and alcohol, he was getting harder to, I don't want to say control, that's not what she wants to do, uh, harder to locate and... Connect with. Yes. So after he'd been missing for a couple of days, they, the Stones were in the studio. So Joe called one night and she told the receptionist she was Ronnie's uh, secretary and needed to speak with him. And the receptionist told her, well, he's, he's busy, but do you want me to put you in touch with his girlfriend who's here? So, Ouch. yeah, so she said, yeah. And when she heard hello, she knew it was Kelly LeBrock. Okay. So she's devastated, obviously. Then one day, Ronnie came home with with Kelly. Joe was there with Janice Dickinson, the famous model. Yeah. They, so imagine, it's Joe and Janice, Ronnie and Kelly at Joe and Ronnie's house. And they ended up drinking until like 6 a.m. And Joe talks about how Janice or Joe would get emotional and run to the bathroom and Janice would come and dry her tears and say like, You'll, you're fine, like, let's get through this. Like, That sounds like a party that I wouldn't want to be at. No. And no. um, Joe had enough. She said, I'm going, I'm going to sleep. And Kelly was like, Ronnie, take me home. Ronnie said, no, I'm staying with Joe. And that was that. That was the end of that affair, basically. Ronnie swore to Joe he never touched Kelly. They never had sex. They never, they were like friends, basically. And of course, Joe loves him so much that that's what she wants to believe. And she decides to believe it, basically. And so they went through a little rough patch then, but... Uh, they got through it, and the next year she found out she was pregnant again. And in 1983, their 
uh, final son Tyrone was born. Uh, Ronnie, this should show you just how bad he is. He offered Joe a celebratory line of Coke uh, while she had like was in the hospital and just had given birth. And Joe is like, uh, no, <sighs> Joe is done with that. Joe is sober now. She's like, wow, Ronnie, you, you have a problem. She Ronnie, cons- you have a problem. Yes. She considered leaving him, but a friend suggested this new thing called rehab. She, Joe never heard of it mm. before. They convinced Ronnie to go. He went for two weeks and he never freebased again after that, but he still drank and he would still do coke. But at least, like, the crack freebase. At least he wasn't doing crack anymore. Yeah. Um, by Tyrone's first birthday, Joe and Ronnie were back on track and fully loved up. And apparently Ron had proposed to her many times before, but Joe would always say, oh, we're happy as we are, and eventually he gave up trying but by 1984 keith had married patty yep and keith was all happy and in his love glow and he was telling ronnie like you have to you have to propose again you have to do it so on their seventh year anniversary uh in september 9th 1984 they were all in jamaica at keith's place and keith booked them a beautiful table beside a waterfall at Jamaica's most oh, romantic geez. restaurant. And Ronnie was nervous. Romantic be- pirate. Right? <laughs> Ronnie was nervous. He'd been rejected before and it was showing apparently. And Joe finally was like sick of him acting so strange. So he was, she was like, what's the matter with you? And he just blurted out, will you marry me? And Joe looked at him. In his book, this is what he says. Joe looked at me, shrugged, and said, Oh, all right. Now, what are we having for the main course? Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. If anybody ever asked me to marry them, I don't care what we're doing or where we all are, right. even if we're not having dinner. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to say. And that Christmas, they went back to England. They always went back to England for Christmas. And Joe planned their entire wedding in under three weeks. She designed her dress, she got everything ready. January 2nd, 1985, they were married. During the party, uh, the boys were up, they were playing songs, and Joe got up there and she sang, and then he kissed me. Aww. Yeah. And apparently... It's good, because you don't have to be a very good singer to sing that song. It could still be cute. She... I wonder if she has a good voice. Maybe she does. Put something out. Yeah. So, it was all taped, and she was so happy, but a few weeks later, Ronnie wanted to record the world snooker championship and he recorded it <gasps> over their wedding tape ronnie no yeah uh they went to Bora Bora on their honeymoon now here in the book both of their the timeline is slightly blurred i've done my best to put it in somewhat chronological or the best way to flow this but I just want to say, keep in mind, the entire time all of these things are happening, Ronnie has a severe alcohol problem, okay? And drugs. Uh, They're back in New York. Ronnie was touring less. He was spending more time with art and um, and the family. And things were good then, but they were also hanging out with a lot of shady people because of like, the drug world, right? 
one night when they went out for dinner, Joe's friend was mugged and beaten in the bathroom. And that, along with some of the shadiness of the drug scene that they were in, they realized maybe New York is not the best place for us. Let's move back to England. Uh, New York in the 70s and 80s was like very rough. It's not the New York of today. So in 1986, they ended up moving back to Wimbledon. Um, around this point, at some somewhere around this point, they decided to invest in a club in Miami called Woody's on the Beach. And that was open for two years, but it was closed in the end for noise pollution. And they loved it, but they ended up losing a lot of money. That was another uh, investment thing that one of these shady managers of his kind of got them involved in. So basically anytime Ronnie built up their money, they, they would do something to drain it all again. Hey, you know what you should do with this money? <laughs> Throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in 1986, when they're, they're back in England and they're hanging out partying and one day at a party, Graham Chapman, Monty Python, was talking to Joe and Joe, uh, he was, pr- he's, a producer he produces a lot of films and joe was like hey you should put me in a film and he took yeah. her seriously and he gave her an audition and joe got the part and she ended up doing w- only this one movie called love potion a low budget horror film conveniently set in a rehab clinic so all the characters were like crazy drug addicts it's a horror film so i'm sure it's uh really crazy but it's at least the subject matter she knew, and she really loved the experience. But uh, in the middle of shooting, she got a call. Ronnie's father had passed away, which, of course, led to Ronnie drinking a lot heavier. And Joe was really worried about their health and their relationship. In 1990, they bought a house in Ireland. Yeah. Um. Again, things, of course, are always up and down with their relationship. Alcohol really having a lot to do with that. But at the moment, they're all right. They bought this house. They're fixing it up. One night at dinner, though, Joe got very ill, and she ended up having to go back to England to get diagnosed. They told her it was um, Crohn's mm-hmm. disease. And they put her on some steroids and some anti-inflammatories. Uh, sh- the steroids really affected her. She says in her book, she describes it as that they, they took her soul. Oh, God. Yeah. So this was really the beginning of a t- horrible year for Joe. Uh, the highlight of this time, though, was that she spent a lot of time with her dad and he was unusually affectionate he was never one to say i love you but now he was vocalizing it and they had some really uh nice times together uh but one day her dad and ronnie and some of the boys were having this big laugh about whatever and uh, he died in like the middle of laughing her dad did yeah so if you're gonna go yeah um, but then after the funeral on the way home, they got into a, a, a car accident. Um, Ronnie fractured his tibia, but everyone else was okay. The minor cuts and scrapes. And then when they got home that night, they found that their bedroom ceiling had fallen in. Oh so my. it was just like one horrible thing after another with Joe. 
Um, and we're about a year into her battling uh, Crohn's, uh, the tabloids found out and everywhere splashed like Stone's wife, an incurable disease shocker. And it was really hard for her, but she ended up getting tons of love and support and letters from you know rolling stone fans and that is a tough one i've heard yeah and one of the people who wrote her was herbalist gerald green and he wrote her saying he could put it into remission so obviously she agreed to meet him and she says those three hours changed my life she learned all about organics organic living uh sustainable living uh, about how bad the steroids are for her. So she ended up, with his help, weaning herself off the steroids. And she just became obsessed with organics. And she says she finally felt her soul return. Good. So her health was uh, improving dramatically because of the organic living. But one day, the pain came back, and it was so severe, she ended up back at the hospital and it was then that they found out she never even had Crohn's. It was a perforated appendix. Oh. Yeah. But the steroids would have led to the appendix bursting. And it was basically only the organic, healthy food and everything that she was taking that she was alive. Yeah. So it worked out for her in the end. And... It led to a lifelong love for organics. Um, now I'm going to take a pause here. I'm going to just say Joe, for the entire Rolling Stones time that she was with them, she was the only Stones wife actually on the payroll. Oh, yeah. She loved touring. Um, by the late 80s and throughout the 90s, the tours really were a family affair. All the wives, all the kids would come. Uh, relatives would come in and out. Joe was Ronnie's PA. She basically did everything for him. And she later, after she got into organics, she would also bring organic food from their garden. And she would cook on the tours. And That sounds dreamy. Yeah. I like that. Um, actually, in her book, I highly recommend her book. It's called It's Only Rock and Roll. She has incredible descriptions of uh, tour life and every aspect of the backstage and what everyone was doing and how much fun they had. And uh, their kids had so much fun as well. I really want to read that. Yeah. It's you can tell that she really like flourished back there and she really loved the energy. And she talks about the roadies and all the crew and everyone loved her and she loves everyone and. I really love her book, uh, talking all about that. That Those are really the highlights. So thanks to all these tours, as you know, the Rolling Stones got really huge in the 80s and 90s and were doing massive tours. Uh, they made a ton of money. And basically they made enough money where they never had to think about money ever again. <laughs> but... Ronnie's manager, the same one that was like, Woody's on the beach, was like, hey, I got this new investment idea. So it was the Harrington Club, which was to be like a spa, a lounge, a nightclub. They wanted it somewhere that you can go in the morning and stay until the night. Okay. It just rotates, I guess. 
So basically they put all their money into it. They trusted their manager too much. I guess they didn't end up actually reading the contracts they signed. As as it, I think it was open for two years or they were with it for two years. And throughout that whole time, they're sort of just putting more and more money in and not seeing any money come back. And finally it got to the point where like they could not put in any more money because like they didn't have any and they were told well you either put in more or you lose everything and they lost everything they were banned from the place as well okay yeah and this finally finally decided hey this manager is an asshole and he's not looking out for us. So they hired Joe's son, Jamie. Yeah, and well, Mick was a real businessman, so I'm surprised he didn't. Yeah. Well, uh, in Ronnie's book, he mentions that the other stones, you know, he would go to them for help and they would give him help when he needed it. One of the things I actually didn't like about Ronnie's book, and it's no fault of his because that's that's his life that's the way he he doesn't know any better but he talks a lot about how like we lost everything and like but like they're not poor like we're poor you mm-hmm. know like when we say we lose everything like we mean like homeless on the street they they mean like like as ronnie puts our their son jamie once he became manager like he he forced us to cut back on designer clothes and he made us you know mortgage our house and no more organics well she's she's actually um she has a big garden so that she she does that on her own thankfully but yeah it was it's just a little annoying to read all about your money problems when you truly don't know what that means like like he said Uh, Oh, but you know what? It's all relative too, right? Because like I can say the same thing, and there are people in positions that are completely different from me. Absolutely, like wah wah. It's like oh well, maybe you can't go to the fourteen dollar salad place three times this week. So just like yeah, unfortunately, there are many people who wish they were as lucky as we are yeah absolutely and because ronnie's never known anything better like to him absolutely like cutting back on designer clothes and cars is is a big deal i guess yeah um so they hired jamie to be ronnie's manager i'm not sure if he still is i hope he is but around um this time as well they're be- or I shouldn't say around this time. They have been over the past like decade becoming grandparents. I think currently they're the grandparents of 10. So it's a big family and Joe's very happy, very healthy. Uh, Ron never stopped the rock and roll lifestyle no matter what age he was though. And it was like very greatly affecting things now. Man, they've been together for a long time yes. at this point. Yes. Uh, the last years of their relationship, though, were like very much ruled by his alcoholism. She talks about how he'd drink for days until he collapsed from exhaustion. He would have constant blackouts where he would be extremely verbally abusive to her and then not remember in the morning. Uh, and he would he would be in and out of rehab. He even toured with some counselors and coaches, but he always slipped back. And by this point, like he's blatantly flirting with other women in front of Joe and it's really painful for her but 
one good thing is in 2005, or I should say a little before that, Joe started learning about oils, essential oils and beauty products. And she started creating her own for her and her friends. And one of them suggested, hey, like you, you should make a business out of this. And in 2005, Joe turned 50 and she launched Joe Wood Organics. Woohoo! Yes. And she she would tour with the Stones, but she would make sure she booked her own appointments with buyers and retailers in whatever city they were in and do whatever press she could in those cities. She really worked her butt off. Good. Yes. But on her 50th birthday, Ronnie said something that was pretty heartbreaking. She He said, I never thought I'd be married to a 50-year-old. But the way he said Aww. it kind of crushed her. Right? Yeah. Now, I want to say, I believe it was 2005 or 2004 that I met Ronnie Wood. Yeah. Yes. You met him. Yes. I didn't know. There's a picture of that on Instagram. Yeah. I'll I'll post it again before we put this one out. But uh, I was, he's the only person I've ever been starstruck with. Yeah. But it was because he held my hands and kissed them the entire time. He was flirting with you. Absolutely. He was drinking, definitely. And he was with another girl my age, which was like a teenager. So I didn't know about Joe, of course. And then after I talked to him for a little while, I left. And then I got a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and he was his security guard. And his security guard said, Ronnie Wood wants your phone number. Whoa. (laughs) I don't think you've told this story before. No. Yeah, so... Well, I mean, not publicly. Not, uh, yeah. Um, I did give it. I never got a call, though. I'm, I am kind of glad about that, especially now, like, reading Joe's book and knowing that he had a wife at the time and everything, yeah. you know? Uh, so, yeah, obviously, Ronnie has his own thing when joe's not around he he's not doing well at this point that was in 2005 so in 2008 is when basically the shit hit the fan he was getting texts in the middle of the night but he was on one of his blackouts and joe picked up his phone and saw a text message from that, a young lynx. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, she saw a text message that said something about, I, I'm not working, I need some money, and it was signed E. And she took down the number, and the next time Ronnie went on one of his benders where he went missing for days, she called it. She could hear him in the background being like, what, is that another one of your boyfriends calling? So she told the girl, put him on. She hung up. She called Ronnie. Ronnie said, oh, she's a drinking buddy. Like, we're just friends. And, like, this was a a pattern for him. So she said, oh, you're friends, huh? Like, why don't you bring your friend over then? And so just like before with Kelly, Ronnie went home. And he's Ronnie's 61. He introduced 19-year-old Katya Ivanova to joe and their children holy shit yep so their kids were like what are you doing with our dad 
like he's so much older than you and she was saying well age makes no difference to me and oh something so heartbreaking ronnie took joe aside and he was like well she reminds me of you when you were young no yeah uh it didn't take long for both of them to end up passed out joe is still in love she thought it's the booze it's a fling like surely ronnie does not actually have feelings for this 19 year old like surely they're not actually going to ever be a couple this is just sex right so joe again kind of ignored it she their daughter leah was getting married around close to that time so Ronnie and Joe went on a vacation basically to try to get Ronnie a little more sober, presentable for the wedding. Uh, the night before the wedding, Joe's mom heard Ronnie on the phone reassuring someone on the other line, like, don't worry, just wait till the wedding's over. We'll be together. Joe's mom told her. But again, she was like, oh, don't worry. Like, you must have misheard. She didn't want to, you know this to affect her daughter's wedding day so she the wedding was great but of course shortly after ronnie started the routine again and one day joe had enough she tracked him down sure enough he was at a bar with katya uh is it a bar with links (laughs) uh he asked uh ronnie she asked ronnie to go home with her and Ronnie said, no, I want to be with my baby. I'll leave it up to you who that is. Oh. He got kind of nasty. And so Ronnie said, well, enjoy your life and left. And when she left, suddenly her phone began blowing up and it was Ronnie. And he was like, you should come back. And Joe is so in love with him. And of course, and we've talked about this recently in another episode, like once you're in that cycle of abuse and love and, you know, it's especially when substance abuse comes in, like you, those nice moments make you not, I guess, do the right thing in the hard moments where like you, you know you should leave, but there's always just enough sweetness there that makes you stay. Yeah. So... Ronnie told her to come back and she did thinking, well, maybe, maybe this was it. Maybe he came to his senses, but all he said was, oh, you've been drinking. You should take a taxi. So she said, fuck you, Ronnie. And she drove away. Good for her. Nice. Uh, Ronnie and Katya went to Ireland, staying in their house. A reporter from the sun knocked on Joe's door one day told joe hey guess what your husband's in ireland with a 19 year old and she was like oh no you're you're mistaken they're friends but apparently and this is maybe why rock stars are a little more hesitant nowadays katya had been all over her facebook posting photos of them together talking about her boyfriend ronnie wood of the rolling stones and oh my god yeah she was just posting it all over so the press got wind it went public after the press released that ronnie went to rehab for the seventh time uh joe of course is just absolutely heartbroken at this point 
but she's getting a lot of love and support from her friends, from strangers, lots of letters again. Um, she says, like, Keith and Patty um, said, like, come stay with us. Even, like, Slash from Guns N' Roses yeah. and his wife were like, hey, do you want to come to L.A. and stay with us? Apparently Mick Jagger never called her. And nobody is surprised. Exactly. So a month into Ronnie's rehab, he called her and was like, it's family day. Can you please come? So after days of group therapy, he finally told Joe, like, I want to be with Katya. And Joe was like, well, what about us? Like, you're going to throw away like 30 years. And he said, well, if things don't work out with her, we can always try again. How about no? Yeah. So Joe heartbroken she spent months you know depressed at home uh lovesick i can't imagine like after all those years like this happening but she had a turning point one night when she read in the newspaper you know like the the part in the newspaper people write like letters in and Mm -hmm. i forget what that's called like the dear blah 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 type of thing dan savage uh so she she read one about this woman who said like she'd been divorced five years and she she's not over it and she can't even sleep on that guy's side of the bed and joe was like oh my god i can't turn into this woman so uh joe suddenly was like i'm gonna live and she got into exercising. She said yes to every invitation that she got. She went into therapy for a little bit. She dated here and there. Uh, she started finally, because as you know, she, she'd been married basically or in a relationship since she was 17. She'd never really known how to be alone, right? So for the first time, she's learning how to be alone and she's starting to love it. And she opened up a pop-up restaurant for a couple weeks in in their home all with organics and that yeah and she like taught people who came all about sustainable living and organics and apparently by the by the end of the fourth week they would have like 60 guests a night so it was a huge success and it really made her uh, confident and she went on a pilgrimage to india nepal and tibet and she's she uh, before before this um i think since like the 80s she was into yoga and stuff so she yeah she started to become joe again and learning like what that means and uh in february 2009 she was invited on a show called strip strictly come dancing it's i guess like a so you think you can dance or celebrity version i guess terrible name for a show strictly come dancing strictly it's hard to say. Ooh. Is that an English thing? I guess so. Strictly come dancing. Ugh. She lasted six weeks. She talks about it in her book how she's like the worst dancer ever. And she got the lowest score that was ever put on the show. Nice. But she loved it. Good. And she had so much she seems fun. Like she's a great attitude. Yeah. And if she lasted six weeks being the worst like every week people were voting her in. So obviously her beautiful energy. And yeah. People wanted to see Joe. And apparently Ronnie was voting for her too. And um, her sadness and her pain just floated away until she was finally okay. And uh, they ended up divorcing 
in 2011. That's when it was finalized. She had to liquidate her company, though, Joe Wood Organics, because Ronnie was the guarantor. So unfortunately, she had to get rid of that. But um, they were on speaking terms throughout. Uh, Ronnie's never apologized for everything he's done. But in 2012, apparently, she says, he said to her, I still haven't found the one, Joe. And she said, you won't, Ronnie. You had her and you lost her a few years ago. It was me. And after, you know, a pause of thinking about that, he said, you live and learn. So, yeah, yeah. you do. Of course, I guess it's no surprise Ronnie and Katya didn't last. What? <laughs> yeah. What? I know. But they did date for 18 months, which I think is extremely impressive considering. Yeah, it actually um, is. I, I checked out some articles. The last article I can find about her is in 2012. It said she was engaged to a singer in some other band called Victoria. Uh, she went on Celebrity Big Brother. She kind of got famous for a bit for being like a, a homewrecker or whatever. Yeah. Um, Apparently, Katya has said in articles that they kind of ended up separating because of Ronnie's alcoholism as well. Like she well, couldn't put up I with mean, it. If he never for, if he never apologized or asked for forgiveness from Joe, that means he has not gone through the twelve steps. Yeah. So is he still an alcoholic? Apparently, He's no. Not a, okay. Um, Ronnie in uh. 2012 got married again to a woman named Sally Humphreys who the brunette uh, yes who instead of 42 years younger like Katya was only 31 years younger oh good and last year they actually had twins so Ronnie's a father again um, at age uh, oh man god I don't know 70 late late 60s early 70s Um, that's okay he was born in 47 okay so Um, so that person's Instagram, uh, comment about his, he's getting older and his wives all staying the same age. Yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. But, uh, seems to be the truth for a lot of rock stars. (laughs) Jimmy Page. Yeah. Yeah. His girlfriend's what? In her twenties? Late twenties. Yep. But she's not posting all over Facebook. I don't think. No. I think she's keeping it pretty chill. Uh, so yeah, Ronnie has apparently been sober for a while now. He's a father again. He had a little health scare recently, but apparently he's doing good. And Joe says, I will always love Ronnie, but now it's with a feeling of warmth and familiarity. And in 2017, in February, uh, that's the last article I found of Joe. And it said that she was dating a man named Paul who was, uh, like a, a a renovator, good and and works with the, his hands. The awesome thing is also she relaunched her company, Joe good. Wood Organics. So you should look that up. It's uh, amazing. This episode product. brought to you by. <laughs> Just yeah. kidding, but let's order some. Um, and she says, "When I look back, now when I look back, the divorce is the best thing that ever happened to me. It made me the woman I am today. I am closer to my kids, and I know I'm a better person. I'm grown up." I've become independent. I can look after myself now. And one of the biggest things I noticed about her book that, unfortunately, I really can't say for a lot of other um, rock and roll live books is 
the entire time she's talking about their relationship and every terrible thing Ronnie did and there is no anger there there's no um pettiness or she doesn't like throw in digs here and there even though she has every right to and so do all the other women who got jilted you know the all, all these women that we've gone through before Angela Bowie and um Sorinda Fox. But I feel like every time we say that, we only we go back to talking about Angela and Sorinda. Other than those two, I feel like the um, autobiographies that I've read have been quite pleasant. Yeah. You know, like especially Patty Boyd and all of Pamela's books about every one of her oh, relationships. Oh, for sure, Pamela, absolutely. Um, um, sorry, I just mean like ones those where they're not friends anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're not friends with their exes anymore. Joe and Ronnie are very close still. And yeah, she's... in the entire time, like, you're reading a book and you're reading, like, some terrible things happening, she, her beautiful self, she, like, shines through. And it's it's a wonderful book to read. She... I, I would love to hang out with her. I imagine she's probably the most fun in the room. And Ronnie really did ha- have you know the I best thinking, life I was ever. thinking that when we were recording the episode there's just like I don't really can't quite put my finger on it but I'm like I want to hang out with her yeah I feel like she would be up for it yeah okay we're on it yeah we're coming, we're coming for, for you coming for you Joe but yeah everyone should read her book it's mm-hmm. only rock and roll uh it's a good title great great sections of tour life you know what and i'm glad that they didn't get back together because it just would have continued the cycle yeah and she needed to go and do her own things she has those amazing memories she was a part of the rolling stones when really sometimes i think that people people were were trained to believe in this happily ever after forever thing like finding the We've one. We've said it before. We say it again. And uh, you know, probably even Dan Savage who like talks about this. But it's just like because a marriage or relationship ended does not mean that it was unsuccessful. And a lot of people spend longer in a relationship than they should because they're, uh, they are thinking like, well, this is my one and only. This is my true love. And there, there are... Many loves out there. And you know what? The most important love is yourself. Yes. And you if love you yourself. feel like you're losing yourself in a relationship, then... Lynx actually talks need... about that in Miss Pamela's book. Yeah, I do. Let It Bleed. So <laughs> if you want to hear what Lynx has to say about self-love, you can go read her published piece in Miss P's amazing book, Let It Bleed. Well, thank you. And yeah, check out Joe's book. We'll link up all her stuff and her Joe Wood Organics. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for an incredible episode. Thank you. I learned a lot. Great. And thank you for listening, everybody. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine. Electrified Porcupine is a pretty kick-ass website where you can go and read and learn all about music, gaming, wrestling, retro, TV, movies, cartoons, and collectible toys. So go to electrifiedporcupine.com and have a look around. See what you like. 
Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.